All right, Shamel, we are live, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Zach? I am doing excellent. It is great to connect in, in this format. I've been following you on LinkedIn for a few weeks now, at least. And I we were just talking before we hit record, and I keep seeing more and more of your content pop up into my feed and like genuinely find it engaging, funny. Yesterday, I quite literally spilled my coffee while reading one of your posts while walking up my stairs. So it's just a it's just fun to kind of see you pop into the feed. And I'm just excited to learn from you throughout our conversation today. But for the sake of our listeners, uh, Shamel Forbes, you are a campus partner associate at uh, Campus Sonar. And Campus Sonar is an incredible company in the space. We've had Liz Gross on the show before. Uh, I, I, I've known several folks who've kind of come and, and gone through Campus Sonar. And Campus Sonar seems to be this like incredible like training ground and breeding ground for just like remarkable talent in this space. So Liz and, and the team there uh, have done just such a great job. But it's an honor to be chatting with another Sonarian. Sonarian or Sonarian? Uh, you can say either. I think say I say either. scenario. Scenario. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for taking some time to chat. And we wanted to do something fun today. You are you're new to higher ed, right? And you're new to working in the context of a uh, a partner that is highly influential and and quite supportive of the industry. And I wanted to craft a conversation around what that experience has been has been like for you. So. I thought it would be fun to kind of just get started by hearing a, a little bit about why you decided to break into to this space. What was it that was so appealing and, and attractive to you? Yeah, I, I feel like I wish I had like a super eloquent answer, but I really needed a job. And I did not understand the tapestry that is higher education. There's so much that is behind the scenes. Like I thought that there was just a guy that processed your application and then there was Bursar and then there were my professors and then there was track. <laughs> so for me, uh, learning how much there is to the actual industry, something I really learned and valued after getting into it. I was at the point in my career where I had worked in social services for years wow. and really wanted a change and to do something completely different with my career. I did the work during the pandemic to become a salesperson and higher ed was the first job, uh, a sales um, company that was adjacent to higher ed yeah. was the first job that I got. And I really grew and thrived and that's why I'm still here. And I do appreciate the work that the industry is trying to do, but uh, yeah, I needed a job at the time. Wow. Um, I, I love how you said you like did the work to become a salesperson that supports the industry. What what was that like? Because I, I like sales, right? It just as a as a profession is one of the hardest, like most cutthroat professions out there, right? People hate sales. People hate salespeople. People hate working in sales, right? Uh, and yet it, it can be incredibly, you know, lucrative and 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 whatnot um, as a as a profession. So what what did that look like, right? Like how how did you did you consume podcasts or read? books or articles like what was that process of trying to figure out what sales specifically in the context of of higher education looked like i'm one of those salespeople that really doubles down on my identity as a salesperson i don't like to hide from it mm. i think that people are aware that there are services out there that can help you achieve your initiatives and you have to pay for them. So uh, I'm really not shy about that. I think um, rather than talk about money, I talk about value. Mm. And um, for the leaders in higher ed, um, you know, there is so much pressure to operate more like a business that I think the sales conversations here and everyone's having it. And I think owning what you can do for an institution and not being apologetic about it is the first thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was straight up grit. I, um, you can go into like the bowels of my LinkedIn and things that I try to engage and connect with folks. And some of them you'll cringe, but um, I never tried anything if it didn't work. Mm -hmm. I, I took conversations with anyone who would talk to me and I forged connections based on like hard work on trying to see what's valuable for folks and make that connection for them. And the rest just kind of flowed from there. Hmm. What's what's so interesting about that is higher ed, and I would imagine this is true of, of uh, social services as well, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, 
it's such a relational industry and it, it really is about who you know and about building trust, right? People that work in higher ed often are working in higher ed because they love students, they love their colleagues, they love the mission of higher education, right? They're not there because in most contexts anyways, because they like love the salary, right? And and yet I, I think that uh, it, it can be easy, especially as a, a, a vendor, as a partner to, to forget that, that at the end of the day, this is like, all just about your relationship with people and and quite frankly like what the reputation is of the company that you're working at and yeah. your your personal reputation and reputation management right and, and scaling sort of your your personal brand is incredibly important and yet there's not like there's not like a big road there's not like one clear roadmap for for how to do that right there's no there's no one book to like building trust with people in in higher education that everyone subscribes to so uh, i'm curious about like a couple of things that you experimented with just 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 when you were trying to like build your network like what, what were some things that you tried yeah i um I figured out what people like on social media. And I know that there are people who, you know, would write these like long, beautiful, like updates about where they are in their career and they would just dress it up so much. And it, you know, it got the likes because people care about their progress and their yeah. success. But then you look at the engagement and it's just like people saying, great job, super proud of you. That's amazing. And I don't know that I know this person anymore, <laughs> any more than I did before they posted this. And I'm not getting a good sense of what they care about. And I'm not really necessarily fully invested in what it is that they're doing. So for me, I have fun with my social media and I talk about stuff in the industry that everyone's talking about. But like, there's this blocker where you get to LinkedIn and you're just like, oh, I need to be professional. And mm. it's like, sure dress it up, put a cardigan on it, but like say what people are thinking. There is a new um, vendor on the block that's attacking the old vendor and like doing something that's new and innovative. Like talk about it, that's yeah. exciting. And I think that uh, people, I've recognized that people are drawn to that. Some of the things I tried in the past is just like really corny attempts at making surface level connections with folks or saying happy birthday to people. Like, don't do that. You know, like <laughs> you're there for your professional value and you can have fun, but understand where you fit in and how to actually form a relationship that is built on what it is that you can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So well said. You started your your career in, in the context of higher ed adjacency, if if we can call it that, at, at Unibuddy, which is a company yeah. that I really respect and uh, has made a big splash in the States over the last few years. Uh, they're obviously UK-based, and they were founded in the UK. What what was that experience like? Like, what, what was it like working for a high-growth startup that uh, was was really, like, just making its way into into the US market? What Was there a lesson or two that you learned there that, uh, you know, you, you will carry with you for years to come? Yeah, talk about stirring the pot to bring up an ex, uh, an ex uh, employer. But no, I love Unibody. I love the work that they do. And I think um, seeing higher ed, U.S. higher ed through the eyes of Unibody was very telling because um, we had had a huge part of the U.K. market where people just saw what it is that we did and make pragmatic sense. Yeah. And there wasn't much bureaucracy or different things going on that you see here in the U.S. And... I think um, it was a good lesson that just because something is strategy and just because something is good and can work for you doesn't mean that it's strategy aligned and it's going to be valuable for your institution. So I really look at those CMOs who are able to discern and say, this is great. Yeah. We should um, Somebody should be doing this, but we're not at the stage to take that on. Or that's not in line with what we're trying to accomplish, or it doesn't showcase the value of our institution. And I think that's a really impressive distinction that people can make. That not, it's not being made across the industry where you see a lot of cases where people buy different tools and there's no concrete strategy there or a tie to revenue in a very clean way. And those are the times where... Um, you see institutions kind of lose their way just with various tools that are out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, and it's a it's an interesting observation that you you learned that hey, just because something's a great product or a great offering doesn't mean it's a great product or a great a great offering for that particular buyer, right? Whether that be a you know a, a small private institution or a large public institution, and I think as 
as ed tech, quite frankly, has just blown up. And there are so many new offerings. There's there's, a, there's just been a lot of institutional capital that's come into the space too over the last few years, I feel like, with, with a number of new startups. Uh, and, and it is hard to know like what where you spend your very limited resources. It's also hard to know, like, hey, is this organization going to be around in two or three years, which is how long it's probably going to take us to get appropriately set up on on this platform, right? And you, you, you know, hit the nail on the head there that higher ed doesn't, at least in the US, doesn't move quickly to make a decision. And sometimes finally, when a decision is made, a year down, you know, the pike, like that, that platform, you know, might no longer might, might be acquired, right? <laughs> or, or, or might no longer be the right fit for for that for that institution. So Definitely. being discerning about like, your tech stack is is increasingly important. Um, getting back to sort of like you and, and your story. So you spend some time at Unibody, you learn a lot about higher ed through the context of again, a UK based company, which is is actually kind of cool, right? That you got that that sort of like, viewpoint and, and Fourier into 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 the industry. I'm curious, when you as you were building your brand, kind of your personal brand within the context of of working at Unibody, were there was there any observation that you had? Or were there any like learnings you had that surprised you about how higher ed marketers made decisions or the things that worked in higher ed marketing, given that your context was was from outside of higher ed? And if so, like what what were those things? Well, yeah, the first alarming thing was um, how connected people are to each other. So we had a lot of people on the team at Unibuddy that were former directors of admissions. And, you know, they would just call a buddy up and be like, hey, do you want to buy this? And all of a sudden deals were made. And I was just <laughs> like, wow, like, you know, there, there are cases where they weren't showcasing the full value. And I think that higher ed has done a huge turnover of a lot of that atmosphere where people just buy from their friends or there's this very incestuous nature. Yeah. But for me, um, I didn't have that luxury and I really had to learn a lot about revenue. And from someone who like barely knew how to like balance my own checkings um, account, <laughs> I really um, didn't understand fundamentally how money worked and how to talk about money. So getting over that and um, being able to have those conversations with high level people about not just this cool product that can do this thing that you should be doing. How does this tie to revenue? Yeah. How does this um, put, make your institution different? What are you offering that other people aren't offering? And once I've been able to make that connection, I've gone rogue with it. Like I... <laughs> exclusively talk about revenue up front. Yeah. I think mission is super important. We wouldn't be here if mission wasn't important, but how can you make a case for something with limited resources if you're not having a conversation about the flow of money? Is It's pretty impossible. So again, not a very unapologetic about being a salesperson and very open to having that conversation about ROI and why you should be doing this. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really interesting learning there. And and what's also especially complicated, at least at most institutions, right, is that the buying process is not clear. It's not cut and dry. You could be talking to somebody who 100% wants to buy your platform or your product or your services, whatever it is, but their hands are totally tied, right? Because, you know, the CMO or the president has a sign off on it or the chief enrollment officer, whoever it is. And that person might just be like really busy and might just not respond. And then it's got to go to the purchasing office and the purchasing office might take three months to get something through. And so it's not like you're selling, you know, a, a little like tchotchke off the internet or something that like the first person you talk to about it can just, you know, say, hey, here's my credit card. Like, let's go. Right. It's it's especially complicated and complex, which I actually think is a really interesting place to cut your teeth as a sales professional because of how complicated the actual buying process is. Yeah. Um, comments on that is uh, I've learned that there's lots of money in higher ed and there are many different ways to access it. And many people have ver varying de degrees of skills in accessing that money. So I, uh, a good colleague of mine, she always jokes, they like, uh, they said they didn't have enough bu budget. And she's like, no, they didn't have enough budget for you. <laughs> <laughs> you did not sell the full value here. And that's why they're not going to move ahead. Anyone can like your product. That yeah. is like the baseline easiest thing. 
if anything, like the fact that your product exists and people have contributed money to it means that it's a product that's worthy of being liked. But to get someone to go through the process with you is one thing. And also knowing that you're with a leader that is savvy and has influence on campus to actually get it through is something that I look for in the buying process, because otherwise you're just going to be having conversations. Hey guys, it's Zach here, founder of Enrollify with some huge, huge news. So I am ecstatic to announce that Element 451, the AI powered all-in-one CRM platform for higher education has acquired Enrollify. Back in 2019, I approached Tony Frega, the CEO of DD Agency with an idea. Tony's a good friend of mine. And so I said, dude, let's build a next generation media hub for higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. As a lover of media, I was just so impressed by how the attention landscape was changing and how brands like The Skim and The Hustle and Morning Brew began to eat up market share from more traditional publications. And I thought there was an opportunity to build something similar, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller, but similar in the niche, but oh so important arena of higher education marketing. Tony and the leadership at DD were gracious enough to allow me the time and the space to ideate on this half-baked idea and then launch Enrollify's first ever content asset, which was, you guessed it, the Enrollify podcast. Since then, Enrollify has grown into one of the most trusted resources for candid higher education marketing content in the industry, and we've welcomed industry giants like Terry Flannery, Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Eddie Francis, Day Kibbles, and Jeremy Tears, just to name a few, into our network of creators. As we started thinking about the next chapter of Enrollify's life, it became clear that it was time for Enrollify to scale. I'm pretty good at building things, but scaling things is a skill I'm still working on. When thinking about who could take Enrollify to the next level, I felt as if artists Mallory and the leadership at Element 451 were uniquely qualified to inherit the brand. Element has actually been a part of Enrollify's story since the very beginning. They were our second podcast sponsor ever. They have invested in almost every experiment that we've ever run. They ship product faster than any other ed tech company I've ever met. And perhaps most importantly, artists and the leadership team invest seriously in thought leadership and education. Building Enrollify has been the most rewarding experience of my professional career to date, and I couldn't be happier to collaborate with the Element team as we seek to take Enrollify to the next level. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere just yet. You are not through with my lovely voice just yet. Um, but if you found any value in Enrollify over your years of tuning into our content or watching our videos, it would mean a lot if you could share a kind word or two about how Enrollify has helped inspire you or helped teach you something new about marketing on social media. It would really, really, really mean a lot to, to the whole Enrollify and Element team, but to me personally as well. So if you've gotten any value of any of the content that we've ever produced, share a quick story or, or a quick thought about us on social. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here, guys, and get ready. We've got so much in store that I can't wait to share with you all soon. But for now, back to the podcast. I am curious why, uh, again, you, you, you needed a job, you were interested in sales, but you could you could have done sales and at a number of different organizations and you after your time at unibody you could have been like i'm done with higher ed i'm going to go find uh you know a, a a sales role in a totally different context a totally different industry but but what is it about this space that is interesting to you like it's as we've just discussed over the last few minutes it's a really hard place to sell like the the, the environment is really complicated higher ed as an industry is under more scrutiny than it probably has ever been before, right? People are questioning the value prop. There's a lot of, you know, internal uh, staff changes. There's a lot of turnover, right? There's a lot of friction even just in whether or not people want to come to work at the university five days a week from nine to five, right? Like there's there's all this, uh, this all these challenges that the industry is facing, which makes it especially complex. But, but what is it that you've grown to, love and, and and appreciate about the space that is that has kept you here and you're you're clearly really passionate about this stuff which is great like where do you think that that comes from it's corny but i think i can save it can't save all of higher ed i'm not that mighty but um i think coming from the outside i recognize that i'm good at this hmm. and i think um higher ed all of the things that are in front of us the declining public trust um the enrollment cliff, even though we're avoiding buzzwords this week. Um, <laughs> I I feel that um, 
it, it's all manageable and all of the resources are there. We just have to think about doing things differently, which is hard. So I think a degree of success has kept me here. And also the fact that something can be done to restore trust in something I've believed in. Like I'm an immigrant and um, everything, you know, our mantra is you first you assimilate and then you conquer. So the idea that... Um, I had to fight for things here and that there are challenges is almost like attractive to me. And I huh. want to, um, you know, be able to, I, I take a lot of pride in the work that I do and that's a huge part of my identity. So I don't run away from the challenge piece of it. I think um, in all of the work I did, there's always some degree of good or contribution to the world that I feel that is important and a driving fact to like get up every day. So I'm kind of obsessed with higher ed. I think um, there's so much to think about. There's so much, there's so much going on and uh, it's tied to so many things. So I know that these skills are going to be transferable um, if I decide to go into an, another industry or do something different. But yeah, it's been very entertaining. I yeah. think that's, that's, that's my final answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful answer. And I'm, I'm interested to hear too, just a little bit about from from your learning so far, and you you're at Unibody now. You're at Campus Sonar. What what are opportunities that you see in this space for different schools, different leaders to to sort of address? Like when when you just kind of take a step back, or if you were talking with a friend who was working as a leader at a marketing uh, a leader in a marketing capacity, a leader in an enrollment management capacity, whatever it might be, and they were to just be you know complaining a little bit about how tough it is, right? Like, are, are there opportunities that you see or are there are there areas that you feel like the industry could dig deeper in that we're avoiding right now for, for whatever reason? And if so, like, what are what are those potential opportunities that that you see given given your vantage point and given, you know, the, the data that you have access to and, and now the like Rolodex, right, that, that you have access to of folks in the industry? Yeah, I, I think. um it's absolutely important, especially for small to medium-sized universities to differentiate their experience. And saying that you have small class sizes and saying that um, you have a close community, tight-knit community is just not enough anymore. It's really about starting to double down on what makes your institution special and unique hmm. among all of your competition so that you can attract new markets of students. If you're gonna consistently just hold up the mirror and say, these are the students that we've attracted, let's keep attracting them, you're going to run out of students. Yeah. So figuring out how to tap into new markets is gonna be really important. Balancing your resources and make sure that you understand what you can do in-house and what you can't do. And that's not just based on capacity and being busy. That's an easy answer. It's like, can you actually pay someone an adequate salary to do this job at your institution? If not, you might need to contract it out. Yeah. So really um, focusing on that resource piece is important for leaders. I would say for people who are um, individual contributors or doing lots of different things in the marketing department, own your value and tie it back to revenue. Mm. You might be the, vi the videographer. How do your videos speak to prospective students? How do your videos speak to alumni students? That's where revenue is. And it might, in some cases, feel like you're diminishing the value of your work or the passion of your work. But really what you're doing is securing your work in keeping the university functional. And if, any, if everyone had that mindset to like, just think about how the institution makes money and how you keep that engine going, then you can do all of the cool things that you want to because you have a defined brand that's working for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like what the industry needs. And maybe this is just true for, for all businesses. I think startups do this really well. And oftentimes that's because there's, you know, people have like legit skin in the game and they have shares or they have equity in the business, whatever it might be. But this idea of taking a more entrepreneurial approach to to your job and as, as you just so well said, like understanding, hey, what are the company, what are the institution's core objectives and core needs and how am I creating work? How am I spending time that totally aligns with that? That's step one is, is asking yourself that question. And then step two, as you mentioned, is 
making sure that you're communicating that right in a way that again is using this is using the language of the strategic plan you know whatever that whatever that might be and i think the people that do that well are the people that end up you know whether it's getting a promotion or whether it's you know being able to leverage an opportunity to go work at at, at another institution or, or or go to the partner slash vendor side of things right are the, the people that have that sort of mindset are the people that are that are able to do that speaking speaking of people for, from your expertise in working outside of higher ed and now and now coming into a higher ed adjacent role what what do you think firms like campus sonar you know companies like like unibuddy like insert any sort of higher ed agency name here right what 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 can adjacent firms to higher ed do to attract better talent and then also like from your perspective talking with campus partners what what can higher ed do to to attract great talent especially at a moment when it might seem anyways whether it's true or not it might seem like the industry is a little wounded the most important thing for a vendor coming into the space is to clearly define what it is that you do cleanly and sometimes that means over that sometimes that means simplifying things in a way that a CMO or a v, VP of enrollment can see how that can impact their strategy yeah very very cleanly it can't be a convoluted thing and you have to be i think the idea of some of these like large um behemoths of companies that are your one-stop shop yeah sometimes the way that they move are is just so um static and the future of working in that space is to be nimble and scrappy hmm. like you need to be able to pivot with higher ed as they encounter new challenges you your um what your software your services need to be able to um be adopted by different leaders in unique ways that preserves the um what's different about the actual institution so just being very malleable and willing to have the strategy conversation is important and i would say the most important thing i've seen in, in all my roles in higher ed is land and expand if you um get into a part of the institution and people are seeing great value there is no reason that you can't expand your influence to other places in the institution. And that might not mean working with other departments, but making that tie to other departments and how it affects their work is how you're gonna stay sustainable. If there's only one group on campus that thinks your work's important, you're gonna be the first one to go yeah. uh, when there are resources being cut. So really just being able to um, expand your value and reinvent yourself like you cannot you know do the same thing each year if you're um if if you're coming up on a new year and you've been working with a partner for a couple of years you want to be able to say we're offering this new thing that attacks this part of your strategy or can speak to this department so you just want to make sure that you're able to be flexible and, and nimble for sure yeah and and what do you think about like if if you're you know in charge of one of these organizations whether it be an institution, whether it be a vendor, and you're like trying to attract more people like you that have this like incredible vision and mind for being innovative and being adaptive and being malleable, right? Like one of the hardest things is is finding great people to come in and help scale organizations, help scale teams, right? And it, it's difficult to to attract folks, especially if you're in higher ed proper, right? It's maybe a little bit easier if you're if you're working um, with with a higher ed agency or or a software company or services provider. But are are there things that you think folks can do, like employers can do, to to become more attractive to to fo to to folks like you, right? To folks like me who want to build in this space, that want to be entrepreneurial, that care about building value. What are some things that employers could do to attract more, you know, better, better talent? Yeah, um, the easiest answer is pay them, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll dig a little deeper for you. Um, the other piece, I think, is curiosity is really important. And I can't say that I'm a naturally curious person. However, I am when I need to be and I need to be at work. So look for that in the actual um 
interview process or when you're talking to folks, because if there's not a general interest or passion in either A, being successful or B, the work that you're doing, it's very hard to train out of that. You can mm. train people to talk about money. You can train to talk about strategy and values and all of those things. But if there's not um, some type of driver for that person, it's going to be very hard to motivate them. Yeah. And um, we're really just not in the place. Like w the amount of work that goes into taking on new employees and onboarding them successfully, you're just not in the place to waste time on people who are not interested in the work that you're doing. So I think that open curiosity is important. And that means taking a chance on people. Yeah. I, um, I remember in, in, uh, you know, interviewing with higher ed, um, places and, you know, not having higher ed experience was always a sticking point for a lot of folks. And it was really, um, you know, Unibuddy and Campus Sonar, they both had to take a chance on me. Mm. And it was all of the soft skills and all of the passion that I brought that made them take that chance. And it paid off for both of them. I brought success to both of those roles. So it does mean taking a chance on people that are different who might not fit the traditional a mold of what you might think about when hiring for a certain position. Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. I want to ask you a couple questions just about your actual role at, at, at Campus Onar. So when when you are talking to a prospective partner, are there what, what are some like good questions that that partner should ask you, right? I think one of the things as we were talking about earlier, right, is like sometimes people get into these contracts or, or agreements, whether it be with a service provider, whether it be with a software company, and they bought something that they didn't really like fully understand. And then at the end of the day, like both the provider and the user are, are both kind of like upset about it, right? Like no one's just like super, super happy. And oftentimes it's because they were sold something that didn't actually work in the way that they thought it would, or they didn't take the time to properly understand how it would meet their needs and what needs of theirs it would not meet, right? So what what are some like good questions you think folks could ask somebody like you when they're in sort of the sales process to to yield like a, a, a more sustainable and better like output for, for both parties? Yeah, I think I'm going to back that up a little bit. Before we talk about questions to ask, I think the most important thing is the information you give over. Hmm. So, um, we have no idea what your strategy is. And whenever I'm stuck in a position where someone's like, well, what are you all about? Like, pitch it to me. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, like, um, we can be so many things, but none of that is going to mean anything to you if it doesn't tie into what it is that you're trying to do. And I will say so much more in conversations now, I think after everyone went a little buying crazy during the pandemic, um, people have really um, committed to telling um, vendors or service providers exactly what they're working with and what their challenges are. Yeah. I think the important question once all of that is established is if we didn't use you, what else can we do to achieve what it is that you do? Hmm. And I think that's a great question because one, um, any good salesperson knows who their competition is. And if they understand your challenges, they have to give you a thoughtful answer as to what it is that you can do. And that might mean manual work on your end, or um, it, it really puts the salesperson in the position to talk strategically about what it is that you're trying to do. And also it will give you great advice as to other places that you should consider before making this decision to achieve, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to me too, that like one of, one of the challenges with all of this is that let's say you ask me a question, you say, Hey Zach. So, um, or, you know, I ask you, you know, Shamel, so what does campus Center do? And, and you don't really know kind of like where I'm coming from or, or what, I, what I need. And then you ask me, well, Zach, what's your, what's your social listening strategy, right? And maybe I'm like, oh, I, I've heard of social listening. I, I kind of think I know what, what that is. And it's almost like I want to be defensive and, and almost like pretend I have a strategy and say yeah. like, well, this is, you know, this is what we, and in actuality, it's like, I actually might not have a strategy at all, right? Or, or you know, I, I might think I have a strategy, but it's, it's not very deep. And I think the best relationships with any partner, to the point you made earlier, a lot of folks 
in the context of higher ed need support from partners, right? They, they don't have the internal tooling and, and staffing to, to be able to do this work. And therefore, these relationships are incredibly important, right? But uh, too often, I think just maybe like pride gets in, right? Of like, hey, well, I, I don't want to, you know, admit to Shamel that I don't have a strategy, or I don't want to admit that I don't really know what social listening is, right? And in actuality, it's better to just freaking admit those things so that you can hash things out together and arrive at a decision of, okay, now that we both really understand what we're looking for and what we need and what you do, then we can make a really great decision about whether or not it's worth working together, whether or not it's worth establishing a relationship together. And I've, it, it's just sad that like a lot of times either pride gets in the way or the language, people don't have the right language to, to ask the right questions, right? And, and that ends up yielding either blowing up deals that could could have been really great or getting into getting into relationships and partnerships that you never should have gotten into, you know, to to begin with, right? Um, so I, I don't know if you have any like additional co- thoughts or like commentary on 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 that, you know, deluge of of of, of thought. But um, I do feel like that's important for folks to consider. Yeah, I I, I think number one, um, and I bring it back, like you need the university needs to make money yeah. and that's okay we can talk about it so um these conversations are super prickly sometimes and the hard conversations when um leaders from institutions are asking me really really tough questions not about functionality or um you know the dashboard or the cool stuff when they're asking me about like our value and value that other people have seen or after listening to my strategy where do you play into that like if you can ask really hard questions that forces a person on the other end to think now you're getting to a place where you can actually make a decision if you're looking at different functionalities and saying, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, you're not tying that to the overall picture of how does this achieve your mission and make you money? Yeah. And I think focusing on those things and uh, really devoting time to meeting with folks. I think a lot of times leaders want to make gunshot decisions or just move past something. And it's like, no, you know, spend the time, take the extra meeting to really flush things out before asking for a proposal Yeah, when we don't really know what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, when you think about sort of like the future of, of higher ed marketing, again, based off of your learnings, uh, over the last few years of, of being in, in these roles, what, like, what are some hot takes that you have? on on how folks within the context of higher ed should think about marketing and recruiting students and or just as you know uh, when you when you think about the industry as as a whole and some of the big changes that are are coming any any hot takes you can share with us yeah it's funny um i i think uh we definitely we're saying that marketing is changing but it's also a very new concept for a lot of institutions and I think the most surprising thing for me is sometimes the level of um, or the lack of resources or just kind of uh, disrespect that marketing teams get where people don't know how to harness their values mm. to the fullest of their um, potential. And we see so much friction between um marketing and other departments where other departments feel that their goals are important and that they're not being supported. But to do that, I think marketing is basically in a very tricky situation where it's like you have a shot to make it. And if you don't, you will not get resources ever again. (laughs) And I think it's a tough place for a lot of marketers right now because they're asking to have enrollment conversations that are so much deeper than they were in the past. You know, the idea of we build it and we and they will come is not a thing anymore. Yeah. So um, really that like idea of cross collaboration is really important right now. And um, overall, like entering new markets, I think is something that's going to be really impressive to showcase your skill set where you're not relying on the same students to do the same thing, you have to look outside of what people are saying about you and what people are saying in the in- industry and linking that to outcomes. We talked a lot today about like vendors um, 
showcasing their value to institutions, institutions yeah. need to showcase their value to outcomes for students. Yeah. How is this going to help you make money and sustain your life and do all the great things that you want to do? You need a marketing team to tell that story. And I think there are institutions that are still out there doing it without a marketing yeah. team, without marketing um, practices. And I think that's kind of the scariest part. And I don't think people realize how many teams out there are not resourced with selling the institution from a marketing side. Yeah, it's it's interesting as you're talking, one of the first things that like popped into to my mind was this idea that obviously like the core product of of higher ed, right? You could you could talk about the ex overall experience being a product and I think you could make a good case for that. But generally speaking, the product is like whatever program or major you're you're pursuing, right? And and the the outcome of that being a degree and I think when it comes to product, if you think about like product marketing, right, uh, the best product marketers in the world really, really understand that, hey, a lot of the time, it's actually not the promotion component that's the challenge. It's that there's some sort of issue with the product itself, right? And I think this this collaboration between marketers kind of transitioning from just like promoters and just like order takers and actually being consulted when it comes to developing new programs and majors, developing new product, right, within the context of an institution, that's still, unfortunately, like pretty novel in, in, in many contexts. And I think it's becoming, you know, more and more understood that it's fundamentally like crucial that the CMO and marketing leaders be be collaborators in, in new program development or new major development. But it's still it's still not like, you know, widespread or, 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 or mainstream. And yet another thing I was thinking about is w with respect to social listening, right, so much of the time the answer to our questions about whether or not a program will be successful or what people think about a program or major are actually like available. Like they, they are accessible. The way of accessing that information just might not be easy uh, or, or it might not be something that is that, that folks just like know how to do. Like no one's no one they've never heard of social listening really. Like social listening maybe just means maybe the closest they've ever been to something like this is like when there's a huge crisis, right? Like, or like the brand is in as the president just did something horrible and it's like trending all over Twitter, right? At that point, people understand, oh, okay, this is this is what this this thing is. But in the day-to-day -day decisions that anyone in leadership at an institution makes, the idea of consulting social as a way to help inform that decision is, I don't even know if it's on folks like radar, you know, and it, it, I don't know what your thoughts are. Obviously, you're way closer to this than I am. But like, are is the idea of social listening growing a lot in popularity? Like, do people understand its importance? And if so, like, you know, what 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 do people need to do more of with respect to paying attention to what folks are saying with saying about them online? Yeah, I think about all of the um, institutions that spend so much money on these um studies or learning you know what their what's on their students mind and what are they thinking and they will do focus groups yeah. they will do interviews they will do so much to get this big static report that was taken in a moment in time and then make policies for like 10 years off of it <laughs> and, um you know we laugh about it because this is just not common practice in other in other industries it's just not uh Students, your key audiences are talking online all the time about the things that matter. I understand that like, if you come across one mention of something negative, that's not anything to be concerned about depending on the context of it or whatever the situation is. But if you cannot look at all of the mentions of your institutions and make a collective decision on how to move forward, then you don't have enough social capacity, social listening capacity on your team to say that you're being data informed because that information is out there and largely being ignored. Hmm. So I think um, if people are trying to get started with social listening or want to see more of the value and how that can translate over to higher ed, really look at one targeted issue and do as much research on what it is that's out there as you can to be able to see that there is contextual evidence of the things that you're looking for without having to, you know, spend thousands of dollars on, um, you know, research that, again, is static, completely one moment in time, 
this is there's different things that are involving with the brand every day and there needs to be a focus on that ongoing listening to make sure that you're progressing the way that you want to not just for the negative but also for the positives as well a hundred percent and i think that that really is like that's the future of marketing right is, is and making making informed decisions about campaigns you're going to launch where you're going to allocate resources it's it you because of social media we all have like a 24 7 like focused group out there like where where we can tap into it any at any moment in time and understand what do people say about our brand like where are we where are we thriving where are we where are we super weak right now right people somebody famous and, and influential once said I, I i wish i remember who said this but somebody one of our listeners will correct me but somebody said something along the lines of you know your brain is what people say about it when like you're not in the room or so, something something along the lines of that right and i think that that's true about about social listening right it's like of course if you welcome students into a into a focused group as a part of a market research study, there's already so much like pressure and it's weird. And they're in like a sterile room with like weird, like, you know, overhead lights and it's cold and they have a glass of water or whatever it is. And it's just, they've been taken out of their comfortable context and put into something like less comfortable. And you just have to believe that that filter at least does something to their response versus when they're with their buddies in their dorm room, like posting about something online. And so all this, all this to say is, I think that the work that you guys are doing is is super, super important, and it's work that more institutions really need to take seriously, and more marketing leaders need to consult when thinking about their strategic plans. Yeah, and uh, you know, I hate to tie everything back to money, but I think that if marketers or marketing leaders out there um, really want to make the case for building out their social capacity. There are so many different ways to tie that to revenue so that for folks who might not understand the value of social or that there is a lot of contextual evidence and data out there that could be um, put in a way that you can make decisions off of it, you really want to be talking about the areas where um, that can generate revenue for the college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation, man. My my last question for you is just around, I, I want to bring us back to kind of like where we started talking about you talking about your personal brand and how we connected on LinkedIn. Uh, for folks tuning in that are interested in growing their respective brands and want to be movers and shakers in the industry and feel like they might also have a call to help impact the the, the trajectory of, of higher ed. Any, any like pro tips or, or things you'd recommend folks do who want to build their personal brand on social? Yeah, I think um, there's networking and there's making friends hmm. and there's value in both. But if you have an interaction with someone and they don't walk away with what your unique value is, I don't really consider it networking. I think um, you really want to be friendly, be out there, have conversations, but regardless of what capacity you're in, you bring value to your role and people will remember that. And you want to leave an impression on people that you're not just this great person or this cool guy, you are actually somebody who could be a resource or someone to have in my network that's of value. And really, um, something that's been helpful for me in growing my brand is helping people. Hmm. Anytime anyone is um, posting about um, hiring for a job or looking for a job, I try to make those connections. Um, it will pay dividends for you when you're in the same situation. But also, those are people that you can potentially work with in the future. Yeah. And um, LinkedIn and, um, you know, X, who knows what's going to happen with Twitter, but um, these are places where so many connections have been forged for so long. Yeah. You can't be, um, you can't, you can't, you can't really be a part-time LinkedIn person where mm. you only come when you need a job or you only come when you're hiring for someone. It is a social network the same way that Instagram is. So if every time you wanted to go out with your friends, you show up on Instagram and say, who wants to go out? They're going to be like, are you new here? That's not, <laughs> you don't engage with me ever. So um, I think committing actual time to having fun on LinkedIn is the best way to do it. It shouldn't feel like a grind or a process, but really let people know what you're doing, engage with other people, what other people are doing and 
like highlight that curiosity piece and learn what's going on in the field and people will start to respect and engage with you a lot more because you're not a stranger you're the guy that posts controversial polls or you're you know um the person who you know is doing great stuff with plants but like get you know put yourself out there and really just make a concerted effort to committing time to building that brand because not everything that you try is going to work and um if it doesn't don't do it again try something new <laughs> uh uh dude this is uh this is great i really appreciate your time man and just your willingness to come on the pod share a little bit about your story share some insights with us these were these were wonderful insights and uh, for folks who are tuning in that want to connect and learn a little bit more about you want to follow you i'll have links to your linkedin uh your your ex uh, profile and any other i'll, I'll have campus sonar's um uh, website as well too so if you want to learn a little bit more about social listening guys the uh the, the leader in the space is Campus Sonar. So go and check out their website, um, connect with Shamel on, on LinkedIn, and um, he can, of course, give you a, a much more comprehensive dive into into this important aspect of, of marketing. But thank you so much for your time, man. It's been a real pleasure. Happy to be here. This was great. Thank you, Zach. Hey all Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.